Lindsay, if you're watching this, then please, we love you, I miss you, and we're worried about you. Please come home. Hi guys, welcome to episode five of the True Crime Sisters podcast. I'm Harry and I'm here with my sister, Bill. G'day, Bill. How are you going? Yeah, good. Thanks, Harry. How are you? Yeah, good. How was your um, escape room? Oh, it was awesome. Was it? Have what you, you ever done one before? No, I've heard about them. Is it a horror movie thing? No, so we, <laughs> the one we did, um, it's called Trapped. It's in Melbourne City, just to give them a little bit of a <laughs> heads up. Um, heads up. Just to give them a little bit of a... Shout out? Shout out, yeah. Um, the room we went into is called the Biohazard Room. So the premise of our room was we were going into a biohazard situation where the workers hadn't come out. And they were just sending us in to figure out what it was. And we had to go through all these challenges to get out through the escape room. It was really fun. It was a lot harder than I thought. And we probably only made it about 80% of the way. But I would recommend that to anyone who loves things like that. So what do they do? 80% they just let you out? Like they're like, sorry, your time's up. And you just get walked (laughs) out or something? We just got escorted out. The walk of shame. You didn't make it through kind of thing. But it was fun. It was so fun. Cool. So before we start, I thought I'd just remind you guys that we would love your feedback. All the links to our social media can be found in the description below. Um, Make sure you give us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts because it really helps let us know what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong and what you'd like to see from us. Um, Today's episode is about a young woman that went missing in 2003 and it's a bit of a timely reminder about the danger of controlling relationships even as a teenager. Uh, I actually remember watching an episode of 48 Hours that was called Love to Death about a teenage girl, Lauren Astley, who was murdered not long after breaking up with her teenage boyfriend, Nathaniel Fujita. And I found it really disturbing. You can probably still find it on YouTube. Uh, To me, I find it quite crazy that domestic violence can begin in a teenage relationship, but apparently it's more common than you would think. I would have thought it would be common. You know how you've got those strong emotions and you're first falling in love and I reckon it would be easier to be sort of controlled. I know what you mean. I think it's more just the murder factor in it. Like you don't hear a lot about teenagers murdering their ex-partner. So I guess today's podcast to me reminded me a lot of that Lauren Astley case. Today we're talking about a young woman, Lindsay Van Blanken, whose life was cruelly taken far before her time. On the 10th of January 2004, the residents of a small apartment block in Queen's Park, Sydney, decided they had had enough of the foul smell they had been putting up with for weeks. Most of them assumed that a possum had crawled into the walls and died. It was a hot Australian summer and residents knew the smell would only get worse as it continued to get hotter. I feel bad when I hear someone saying that a body smells. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because it feels like it's disrespecting the human that's lost their lives. They do really smell though. I know. Yeah. I just wanted to like kind of yeah. point out that, it, I don't know, like there's not a lack of empathy that is leading us to say that. It's just yeah. the way that the facts come. It's of a really sad it. reality that at the end it it is gruesome. Like it's smelly, It like rigor mortis. Like it's not Isn't a pleasant, horrible? it is horrible. It's really bad. But it is, it is, and it does smell like any animal carcass, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah. Queen's Park is a small inner suburb of Sydney, approximately six kilometres from the Sydney CBD. The suburb surrounds a big park reserve, which is popular with cyclists and walkers. Finally, a group of Irish backpackers residing in the aforementioned apartment block decided to call in the apartment maintenance man to investigate and remove the source of the smell. The maintenance man tracked down a smell to a car park and a small, dark storage space underneath the apartment block. He pushed his way past the bags of rubbish and old mattresses and noticed a sports bag from which the smell appeared to be emanating. 
He dragged the heavy bag out towards the light to inspect its contents. As he was dragging the bag, he noticed something fall out from inside. It was a badly decomposed human hand. Lindsay Van Blanken was described as a lovely, quiet homebody that was well known for her individual style and humour. She was an extremely talented artist, with her visual arts diary being her prized possession. She loved to experiment with different hair colours and styles and was described as having a funky style. She was an introverted girl and had not yet developed the confidence in herself that often blossoms in adulthood. I feel like I relate a lot to this story as well because in 2003 I was 17, just to state my age, and I was quite similar to how Lindsay's described, like that sort of um, a bit alternative kind of person who hasn't quite found their way in life. So this story really does stick out to me a lot. And I actually remember when it first happened, really relating to Lindsay as well. She was just 16 years old when her mum, Cynthia, got married in 2001. It was a beautiful, extravagant affair filled with close family and friends, and Lindsay was so happy to be a part of it. Also at the wedding, providing the music, was a string quartet. How do you say that, sorry? Quartet. Quartet. The cello was played by a skilled musician named William Harold Matheson. We'll notice two pretty young teens who were also at the wedding. One was Lindsay, and the other one was Lindsay's close friend, Jocelyn. When the band was on a break from playing... Will approached the two girls and began chatting them up. Although Lindsay was extremely shy, Jocelyn gave Will both the girls' phone numbers. Lindsay's big sister Louise saw this exchange, followed by the two girls giggling. According to Jocelyn, not long after the wedding, Will began contacting her and showing interest initially before setting his sights on Lindsay. He began calling Lindsay frequently and going around to her house. Despite this attention, Matheson was hesitant to call Lindsay his girlfriend and by many accounts, was stringing her along. It took about six months before Lindsay's parents realised that she was dating someone. Lindsay began dressing and speaking alike Matheson, which was concerning to her mum Cynthia and stepdad David. Lindsay and Matheson began taking long walks at night together, and her parents felt as though they had lost control of their daughter. Will Matheson prided himself on an alternative and bohemian lifestyle. He listened to horror rap music and loved comics that explored the dark side of life with his favourite being Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. He had a number of pet rats, which he kept in his room. He was also a talented musician, as previously mentioned, and excelled at playing cello. The relationship between the two has been described as controlling and manipulative, and from what I've read, it sounds like he was calling all the shots. When asked by her parents why she would constantly go out for long periods of time at night, Lindsay would state that she found it peaceful walking around in the dark. While the two were lovers and intimate... Their relationship never had the official title of boyfriend and girlfriend that many teens long for. Lindsay was a talented artist with her own unique style of drawing. After a Disney animation studio opened up in Haymarket, Sydney, Lindsay decided to apply for a trainee position. Although nervous, she put in her application. Out of 300 applicants for a position, she was one of the few that were selected to join the team. Trainees for Disney must be highly talented at a minimum, and this was Lindsay's dream job. I think we just need to note, that is amazing. So impressive. She must have been an amazing artist to get a... Disney. Yeah, yeah, especially out of 300 applicants to get chosen. That's... It's very impressive. Amazing. Lindsay had also been spending quite a bit of time playing online strategy games, and this was quite a passion for her. Her online screen name was Demon Nurse. At some point, she began speaking with a young man, Brandon Leonard, a 22-year-old hairdresser from Seattle in the US. Shout out to Seattle. 
and they began to develop a close, trusting online relationship. And this was in the pre-Tinder and Facebook days, so... At first, the two sent messages to each other through email and sent each other photos. They were getting to know each other and developing a relationship. They seemed to understand each other on an intellectual level. This communication continued and the two began to fall in love. Their relationship was eventually cemented when Brandon Leonard proposed to her and she happily accepted. Up until this time, she had still been seeing Will Matheson casually and was struggling to end the relationship with him. Although he wouldn't treat her particularly well when he had her, when Matheson felt like he was losing Lindsay, he would become possessive. When Brandon decided he was coming to Australia to see Lindsay in person, Lindsay broke it off with Matheson for good. On September 9th, 2003, Lindsay picked up Brandon Leonard from the Sydney airport and the two were thrilled to finally meet. They were staying in a small flat out the back of Lindsay's parents' house. The two enjoyed spending time together as a couple and their time together was only strengthening their relationship. One day when Brandon and Lindsay were out and about walking together and holding hands, as couples do, they ran into Lindsay's ex-lover, Will Matheson. Seeing Lindsay happy with someone else made Matheson angry. And at this time, he began to start obsessing over Lindsay. Although he had never treated her how she deserved to be treated, he didn't want anyone else to have her. It was classic fatal attraction style. If I can't have you, nobody can. He was extremely jealous that she had moved on and appeared to have found happiness with another man. I do not get how people get like that. Like just being like, if I can't have you, no one can. How I feel like do it people... takes a certain type of personality. Yeah. It just feels like such a crazy and thing. And coupled with some kind of mental mm. illness maybe. Okay. Yeah, that would explain I mean, it. obviously to us it is not something we can fathom, but it happens. So. Yeah. I know it happens often, but I, even people who... It happens often on a small scale yeah. as well. Well, love changes the chemicals in your brain. Matheson grew more intense and obsessed with Lindsay after realising she had moved on. He was increasingly jealous. Lindsay began noticing that Matheson would appear frequently in places she was. He would turn up as she walked to the train station or appear near her place of employment. He would also send her abusive and disturbing text messages. Alarm bells were ringing. One day, Matheson turned up at Lindsay's house to confront Brandon. The two men argued as Matheson tried to maintain that he was still Lindsay's boyfriend while trying to intimidate Brandon. Lindsay's mother, Cynthia, and Brandon maintained that there was no way Lindsay was still seeing Matheson. Brandon stood up to Matheson and made it clear he was now engaged to Lindsay and warned him to back off. This confrontation was also witnessed by Cynthia. On the 24th of November, 2003, Lindsay went to work at Disney like she did every other day. She had had a great morning. She had just been given an early Christmas present from her mum, return tickets for her and Brandon to Seattle to meet his family and get married. They were scheduled to leave on the 22nd of December and Lindsay couldn't wait. Not only would she be able to meet her future in-laws and marry the man of her dreams, but she would also be able to have had a white Christmas and to see snow for the first time. She left work ecstatic. At lunchtime, a workmate saw Lindsay engaged in what looked like a heated conversation with a young man outside the Disney building. The workmate explained that this was not an unusual occurrence and that they would often see this same man hanging around the front of the office. At one stage, she commented to workmates, he's here every day now. But according to workmates, she didn't seem angry about it. At 5.07, Brandon received a text message from Lindsay that said, yeah, I can't wait, referring excitedly to their upcoming Seattle trip. At 5.30pm, CCTV caught Lindsay getting off the train at Bondi Junction and walking in the direction of her house, but she never arrived home. After waiting a while for his fiancée to get home, Brandon began to get worried. 
he went into the main house to let her parents know that she hadn't arrived back when he was expecting her. After waiting several hours for her return, they decided to contact the police. Right from the start, the disappearance was treated very seriously. It was clear that this was not at all within Lindsay's character and that something was very wrong. Police began by searching local parks and streets as well as sending police divers out to local waterholes in the area. There was no sign of Lindsay anywhere. Lindsay's mother, Cynthia, made an emotional plea for her daughter to come home. Lindsay, the family is missing you terribly. Please contact us. We're desperate to hear from you. We just want to know where you are. Her family was still hoping there was some small chance that Lindsay had just needed some space to have a breather from the stress of everyday life and would eventually come home. Brandon even put up a sign in the window of the flat just in case Lindsay would happen to see it. I'm packed. Let's get the hell out of here. Just you and me. We'll find that island we used to talk about. I love you. Isn't that heartbreaking? As days went on, police held grave fears for Lindsay's safety. Her mobile phone was silent and her bank accounts had not been accessed. Cynthia was sure Lindsay wouldn't just leave. She wouldn't leave her beloved job. She hadn't even wanted to take off more than two weeks to go to Seattle. She wouldn't leave her fiancé and she wouldn't leave her family. Police questioned both of the men that were in Lindsay's life, her fiancé Brandon and her ex-lover Will Matheson. Both gave alibis for the one-hour period in which she was thought to have gone missing. However, Matheson also admitted that he had seen her that afternoon. After she had gotten off the train at Bondi Junction, he walked with her towards her home address and left her within 100 metres of her home before walking to his own house in Randwick. His parents confirmed that he arrived home when he said he did and then went to play the cello in a concert at the entertainment centre at 7.30pm. So he put himself with her 100 metres before her house. Yeah. Well, I think he knew that it was a possibility that people may have cited him, so it was better that it was on his terms than their terms. On December 3rd, police conducted a reenactment of Lindsay's last known movements They dressed a female officer with a similar build and look to Lindsay in the same black jacket, maroon pants and black boots that Lindsay was wearing the day she disappeared. A male officer was also dressed like Matheson. They were hoping that if they reenacted the events of that day, it would jog the memory of someone in the public. It didn't. Police interviewed Lindsay's Disney workmates. One workmate remembered seeing Lindsay having what appeared to be a heated conversation with a young man at the front of the building the day she disappeared. When showed photos in a police lineup, the workmate was able to identify the man seen arguing with Lindsay outside the office. It was Will Matheson. This increased police's suspicions that Matheson had something to do with Lindsay's disappearance. Not only was he the last person known to have seen Lindsay, but he had also argued with her that day. After he was identified, Matheson was brought in for another interview. He continued to deny having anything to do with Lindsay's disappearance. Upon examination, police noticed scratches and grazes on his body, which only increased their suspicions. At one point, after Lindsay disappeared, Lindsay's sister Louise called Matheson to see if he had any information that would help the family. He was calm on the phone and said that apart from bumping into Lindsay briefly the day she vanished, he hadn't seen or heard from her. He told Louise he had left Lindsay in an alleyway behind a pub, which Louise found strange as it was a bit of a detour from Lindsay's usual route. At some stage during the conversation, Will's dad interrupted the call and told Louise that he had not seen blood on Matheson when he arrived home. Understandably, Louise found this extremely strange. 
How weird is that? How it's very strange. Suspicious. Yeah, I think he probably thought at the time that he was trying to protect his son, but he didn't realise that it actually made him look more suspicious. On December 7th, Will Matheson was stopped by police while walking through Coogee in the middle of the night. Coogee is about a 30-minute walk from his house in Randwick. Officers asked to see inside Matheson's backpack. Inside, they found a pickaxe, plastic bags, a Stanley knife, gloves, disinfectant, newspapers, and what Will told them was holy water. When asked what he needed these suspicious items for, Matheson told them he was going for a picnic in his local park. This is when the surveillance on Matheson began. Even if he was going for a picnic, that doesn't explain the items. No, they're all quite strange items. Time passed, as it does. On the 24th of December, Brandon Leonard decided to go home to Seattle. He publicly stated, I will have a miserable Christmas without Lindsay. We were supposed to leave here together and instead I'm going home alone. If anyone has any information, doesn't matter what it is, then please go to the police. And that's sad. It is sad. Yeah. If you remember back to the start of the episode, we talked about the body found in the sports bag in the storage shed. As you've probably guessed at this point, this was Lindsay Van Blanken. It had been seven weeks from the time Lindsay disappeared until the time the maintenance worker discovered her body cruelly discarded in the storage shed. Police were called and taken to the storeroom, which had the distinctive smell of death inside. A crime scene was established and cordoned off. Lindsay had been brutally murdered and left to decompose in the heat of summer. She had cable ties still wound tightly around her neck. This death had been violent and Lindsay had fought hard. Forensics arrived to extract physical evidence. Lindsay was identified from her dental records, her jewellery and clothing. Lindsay's grandmother heard a news report that a body had been found nearby. The family thought surely the police would contact them and let them know what was going on before the media got a hold of the story. Unfortunately, this was not the case. Not long after the media released their story about the discovery of a female body, police arrived to break the horrible news to the family. They were absolutely broken by the news. Lindsay had been no more than 500 metres from the family home the whole time. As news got around that Lindsay had been discovered, William Matheson had a mental breakdown. He was admitted to the Prince of Wales Hospital, suffering from extreme stress. Police were sure he was the killer. Lindsay was found close to where Matheson said he last saw her the day she went missing. This, coupled with the injuries to Matheson following the disappearance, made him look extremely guilty. Lindsay was laid to rest on January the 29th, 2004. 300 mourners showed up to remember Lindsay Van Blanken and pay their respects at Waverley Church. Lindsay's white casket was covered in flowers and her artwork. Lindsay's grandmother, Grace Van Blanken, spoke out on behalf of the whole family. It's such a shocking thing. She was such a lovely girl who never did anything to harm anyone. I can't believe it. Detectives decide their best bet for finding out who killed Lindsay was to identify where the sports bag that contained her body came from. Police hear from Matheson's father that Matheson brought a large sports bag two days before Lindsay disappeared. With this information coming to light, they raided the Matheson home. They found dozens and dozens of newspaper articles about Lindsay's disappearance cut out in Matheson's bedroom. I feel like that takes it to another level. So it's one thing to be the controlling boyfriend who got jealous and then did something like that. But then to be like proud of it and, or I don't know if he's proud, but then to be cutting out clippings, that to me changes what kind of a person, like. So it kind of takes it from that crime of passion. 
a little bit further. Yeah, to like he really must have got something from it. it. Yeah. Yeah. They also found a cassette tape in Matheson's bedroom. The tape contained recordings of Matheson talking about Lindsay in the past tense. Perhaps the most disturbing thing on the tape was a song that Matheson appeared to have written about Lindsay. Words in the song said, Just the other day, I watched you pass away. You said I love you. Please let me stay. And if I can find a clip of that, I'm going to put it in because it's really creepy. Yeah. Unfortunately, there was no trace of a receipt for the sports bag. Police decide to canvas local sporting stores in the area. After speaking to a number of stores, they find that only one identical bag was supplied in the area. The bag was supplied to Revel Sport, Bondi Junction, and was sold on the 22nd of November 2003 via cash sale at 1.30pm. The huge breakthrough came when they placed Matheson on CCTV, walking past a pub next to Revel Sports exactly prior to the sale of the bag. Now they just had to wait until he was no longer under psychological evaluation so they could speak to him. When police finally had the opportunity to speak to William Matheson, they asked him about the sports bag. He says that the one Lindsay was found in was not his. He had lost that sports bag. Police asked him to retrace his movements the day Lindsay went missing, taking him to the storage space her body was found, and he continued to maintain his innocence. Later, he confessed that he hears voices telling him to harm himself and others, but that it never told him to kill Lindsay. And I just thought I'd add here that, from what I've read, the Matheson family actually had a family history of um, schizophrenia, and his brother actually committed suicide in 1991. So I feel a bit sorry for the parents. It obviously kind of runs in the family. And that would probably make a little bit more sense to me with the newspaper clippings and potentially he would have done this at some point regardless whether it was yeah. Lindsay or a random. And that's what we were saying before, these kind of things can be driven by mental illness. Yep. So I'm pretty sure as well when the police took him to that storage unit, he was pretty cool and calm and then they sort of took him towards the area where he'd actually store or where the sports bag was found and he asked, "Can we leave?" And the officer was like, "Sorry, what?" And he's like, um, can we get out of here? So he was actually quite triggered yeah. by being back in that room. Yeah, and that's actually on um, Crime Investigation Australia, so you can actually see that, and he was physically feeling very uncomfortable in that moment. Yeah. On the 19th of May 2004, William Harold Matheson was arrested and charged with murder. Later, Matheson's father comes forward again and tells police that at one stage his son played him a news report about Lindsay's disappearance and said... Dad, I think I did it. I lost my sports bag. One of Matheson's friends also came forward and turned Lindsay's art diary in, telling police Matheson had given it to him for safekeeping. Lindsay's family confirmed that Lindsay would never have allowed Matheson to have that diary. Um, And apparently in court as well, his mother came forward and said that in high school and like throughout Matheson's life, he'd actually been quite a loner and had had a lot of problems that they were noticing and they were quite concerned about him. Um, She did defend him at trial, so I think there might have been some denial there in the family as well, like a bit of confusion, noticing that he was one way but wanting to believe that he wasn't capable of going that far. On November 2nd, 2005, William Matheson appeared in the New South Wales Supreme Court. He appeared dazed and confused and avoided looking anyone in the eye. The case was circumstantial but strong. It was found that Matheson prepared a garrote by looping two cable ties together. The murder was planned and was by no means impulsive. 
Matheson lured his ex-lover there with the intention of ending her life. William Harold Matheson strangled Lindsay, stuffed her body into a sports bag, and then left her in a dark, dirty storage space under the unit block where she was found. The trial lasted for three weeks. A jury of nine women and three men found Matheson guilty after deliberating for three days. The judge described the murder as brutal and cruel. Matheson received a maximum sentence of 27 years with a non-parole period of 18 years. Lindsay's mother Cynthia and stepfather David, dad Ron Van Blanken and sister Louise were all overcome with sadness and relief. They hoped that this sentence would allow them some closure and that they would now be able to grieve and remember the artistic, shy, beautiful woman whose life was cut short. And we just thought we'd do like a quick chat about the red flags in a domestic violence relationship. Not that these are definitive or that we're saying if any of these are happening in your relationship, you must leave. But I just thought it was kind of an opportune time to have a quick chat about it. So here are some of the red flags that we would state. So obviously if they hurt you on purpose, that's a big red flag. Um, A quick attachment and bond. So if they're really, really quick to say, I love you, let's get married or anything really extreme really quickly. A very bad temper. So it can often begin with indirect violence, which is sort of like a verbal abuse or emotional abuse. Um, Eroding away your self-confidence. So correcting everything you do or making you feel like you're always doing something wrong. Isolating you from your support system. Something called the mean and sweet cycle, which is treating you like shit one day and then sort of sucking up to you the next so you kind of never know whether you're coming or going. Um, Making everything out to always be your fault. Something called breakup panic. So when they're threatened with breakup, they will turn it all around with guilt trips, making you feel like you've done something wrong. Um, No interest outside of the relationship. Paranoia and jealousy within the relationship. And um, yeah, just to say again, we know it's not as simple as just leaving, but we just thought it was a good time to sort of bring up um, some of the red flags involved in domestic violence. Um, Our thoughts go out to Lindsay's family. And if if you or someone you love is the victim of domestic violence, um, the Australian number to call is 1800RESPECT. That's 1800-737-732. Thank you for listening to episode five of the True Crime Sisters podcast. We hope you have found this interesting. If you have any feedback for us or you would like to help us by leaving a review, please find our social media links and contact details in the description. Thank you again for joining us and please stay safe.